This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to The Weekly. Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly. This is Lee Rivett, and I'm joined with the Editor-in-Chief of Retail Insider, Craig Patterson, to talk about this week's popular articles on retail-insider.com. We're currently recording on October the 16th, 2019, and we just wanted to quickly mention one of our advertisers, Peregrine and uh, Acorn Wood Designs. Um, They're supporting this podcast for this week, and we'll have a message from them later on in the podcast. So thank you for joining me, Craig. Hello, everyone. Excellent. Well, uh, we just wanted to mention our first popular article for this week, and that was Harry Rosen was launching a first-of-its-kind Canada Goose shop in a store. So, Craig, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? It's in Toronto, right around your neck of the woods. Yeah, I got to check it out. I mean, I live literally across the street, so I popped in and had a look. And uh, it's the first Canada Goose store, shop and shop, I should say, anyways, that kind of looks a bit like an actual Canada Goose store. So, you know, if they've got the marble countertop in there, they've got a marble uh, slab on the wall, um, they've got kind of an art exhibit thing you know that you know speaks to the aboriginal population as well and it's, it's kind of a branding exercise it's a little bit more you know coherent to the brand for canada goose than you know you would see in i don't know a corner at uh, Saks Fifth avenue or something like that yeah fair well one of the questions that i had was around the timing like harry rosen has a long-standing relationship with the brand um so why now like why create this first of a kind shop in a store um, like, is it more just to try to protect their customer base from wandering over to the Canada Goose independent stores that may have a wider selection? Or is it more that Harry Rosen is trying to solidify that wholesale agreement with them so they don't necessarily get that yanked from them at some point? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's so much a competition thing. I think that this is kind of a branding exercise. I mean, Canada Goose right now is opening stores. You know, I call them direct to consumer stores. And you know, these are operated by Canada Goose. They make more money off these stores than they do from, you know, retailers that sell their stuff in terms of being wholesale. So, um, you know, like, for example, Canada Goose would get less profit per jacket if it was sold at Harry yeah. Rosen than, say, in a Canada Goose store. So, um, you know, what Harry Rosen is doing, I think, is, you know, certainly solidifying that relationship, basically keeping Canada Goose as, you know, one of their, you know, wholesale vendors uh, in their store by, you know, giving them a little bit more attention than, you know, maybe other retailers would as well, because, you know, Canada Goose is, I think, starting to pull out of some, uh, you know, multi-brand retailers. And uh, this is scaring uh, the crap out of some retailers. I'm not saying Harry Rosen specifically. I don't think they have any problem, but this is a big concern right now in Canada. And in January, we're going to be doing a bit of a feature on this at Retail Insider because it's one of the big trends I'm seeing. Well, I'm finding that, especially in my market in Vancouver, the closest Harry Rosen that I have is in the Pacific Center in downtown Vancouver. So if I was in the market to go buy a, you know, a jacket or a sweater from, from uh, Canada Goose, I would literally be going to that mall with the purpose of that brand. So if I was to go in there, like literally across the hallway from Harry Rosen is the standalone Canada Goose store. So if I was wandering through, I would be like, mm, I'll probably go to that standalone store in order to have a wider selection to choose from. So unless like Harry Rosen had like a sale going on or something like that, I wouldn't necessarily be motivated to go into Harry Rosen to buy a Canada Goose item. Now, granted, like there is a wider value proposition that's coming from Harry Rosen, like this service, as well as like a lot of other brands that you could choose from because, you know, hey, like, I mean, Canada Goose may not be the best brand for whatever you're currently doing. So there's a lot of other reasons to go into Harry Rosen too, but it's got to be tough for them. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and I'm assuming that Vancouver, downtown Vancouver, CF Pacific Center, Harry Rosen has Canada Goose. I haven't looked. Mm, I haven't they, been there in a while. They do. Okay, that's right. Yeah, because you were, I remember you were looking. And, um, yeah, I mean, and that is a thing, though. I mean, you know, in a lot of these wholesalers and multi-brand retailers, you don't get the same selection that you do in a full, big, you know, corporately run store by a brand. So, you know, definitely some people are going to be, you know, keen to say go to the Canada Goose store to buy something because, you know, it's it's memorable. You know, uh, the one in West Edmonton Mall, I was there a little while ago and they have a, a cold room you can go in. Mm-hmm. It's like minus 25 degrees and try on a jacket. People were doing it. Uh, it was actually hot out, so I uh, totally don't blame them. I would have done it too. But, uh, you know, it, it's, but at the same time, you know, Harry Rosen has a certain client, you know, and they're loyal and, uh, you know, Harry Rosen is known for its incredible customer service. I mean, they have, you know, tra- they train their staff to be great. So, you know, I can kind of see this working in this case. So, like I said, I'm not so worried about Harry Rosen, say, losing Canada Goose as a vendor because, you know, Canada Goose is a style of customer service that is, you know, also different than in a Canada Goose store. And, you know, some men are going to, you know, maybe buy a jacket and buy some other stuff from Harry Rosen. But, you know, for the other multi-brand retailers that, you know, only have a small selection of Canada Goose jackets, well, it remains to be seen if they'll be keeping them as a stock list. Yeah. And, you know, literally some retailers, if they were to lose Canada Goose as a vendor, um, I think those retailers would have to close. And uh, and that's really, you know, I'm sure that's really scary for them. And, you know, it's kind of one of those stay tuned situations. I think that, uh, you know, and this is part of a bigger trend. I mean, we're seeing, you know, in some cases, you've got these multi-brand retailers. They carry a bunch of brands in their store. Um, some of these brands now are opening their own stores. And so, in other words, these brands are now becoming the biggest competitors to these multi-brand retailers. And, you know, you look at Yorkdale in Toronto and, you know, Alberni Street in Vancouver. A lot of these fancy brands are opening and you know, a lot of our jewelry brands, but, you know, ultimately what's going to happen to these, uh, you know, multi-brand retailers in Canada? I mean, we'll be discussing this quite a bit more, I think, in the weeks and months to come. But, um, you know, I just want to put that on everyone's radar because, you know, we have seen all kinds of multi-brand retailers close. If you think about it, just go back in the history books, you know, re- remember what things were like in the past. You know, we've got fewer of them and I think we'll see, unfortunately, uh, you know, f- less uh, in years to come yeah well and it's interesting because you take a look at like harry rosen they're across canada they have more than one location so like yeah they have a little bit more clout and sustainability when it comes to uh, competing with canada goose like there's other reasons to go there but i'm wondering how those smaller retailers like over the rainbow and stuff are going to deal with having to compete with these standalone stores. Yeah, I mean, Over the Rainbow is unique because I think they were actually the first wholesaler for Canada Goose. So they've got a little shopping store at their store at the Manulife Centre, which is, you know, almost across the street from Harry Rosen on Bloor Street. But uh, um, again, I think having that existing relationship is there. But, you know, maybe no one's safe. I mean, that's me more speculating. I don't know what the arrangement is. But, you know, safe or... um, I don't know. I mean, you know, when Canada Goose opens a store at the uh, CF Toronto Eaton Centre, you know, is it going to be carried at Nordstrom or is it going to be carried at Harry Rosen or Saks Fifth Avenue? Um, I wonder if it's carried in the Hudson Bay store. I don't think it is, but, you know, the Hudson Bay and Saks are in the same building, so it kind of is anyways. But I don't know. I mean, I, we may see it pull out. I mean, I know that Canada Goose is not, or at least last time I checked, it wasn't carried at Nordstrom at, uh, you know, Yorkdale Shopping Centre, but there's a Canada Goose store, you know, almost at the entrance to that Nordstrom store. Yeah, well, and when I was looking at the different uh, locations for buying um, Canada Goose last year, like uh, huh. there was a whole rack section at the top floor of the Bay in Vancouver, so they do carry it. But uh, one of the other questions I had about the Harry Rosen News Shop in a store that just opened um, 
when I was looking at all the photos, it's a heavy investment. Like there's all kinds of like marble in there as well as like the new like, you know, modeled walls that cause on that's on point with the branding for Canada Goose. So it's looks like they're trying to make an effort to show that commitment to the brand as well as trying to wow the customers in order to get them to buy there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Harry Rosen has done this with other brands too. And if you go into the flagship store again on Bloor Street in Toronto, I mean, you go to the second floor and it's gorgeous. I mean, they just refinished this Tom Ford mm-hmm. shop and, you know, beautiful. It, brand new look. It's, it's, I mean, it's gorgeous. You know, it's, it's, you know, it, what else they've got up there? They've got a Zania shop, which is funny because, you know, Harry Rosen also runs the standalone Zania shop on Bloor Street, which is like about 80 feet away. Um, but, you know, beautiful, like, Luro Piano shop, a Giorgio Armani shop, uh, Montclair, which is gorgeous, Brunello Cuccinelli. I mean, uh, you know, it's a really beautiful environment, and those are not concessions. And what I mean by that is those are not lease departments from those brands. Harry Rosen does run those. So, uh, but again, I mean, look around the neighborhood. Montclair has a store up the street on Bloor. Uh, Brunello Cuccinelli opened a gigantic store in Yorkville Avenue about two blocks away. I mean, some of these brands are opening their own stores. So, you know, this is competition even for, I guess you'd say, Harry Rosen. Yeah, well, when you take a look at some of the um, tactics that these multi-brand um, retailers are are doing, one of the things that they could do is like what Burks is doing. Uh, I think in Vancouver on West Georgia, uh, they opened up the Graf Diamonds and Patek Philippe stores and they look completely independent but they're run by burks so instead of like having a competition with burks um it's a kind of a smart idea to then go open up the store under that that banner and then be able to kind of you know um, you know do the employee the Mm -hmm. hr and stuff like that and then be able to kind of work together instead yeah yeah i mean burks is doing something really interesting uh someone we know has uh, just been hired there i won't say who because i don't know if it's confidential but she's awesome um but yeah new burks you know opened the graph and petit philippe shops you know little tiny uh stores on sorry on west georgia street i'm gonna say alberni street just up you know half a block north next to the new hermes store Mm -hmm. which is gorgeous Mm -hmm. holy cow and uh you know burks is sort of going after that client that's looking for the mono brand uh, you know, product. And, uh, you know, it's almost like Alberni Street and that whole area has become this jewelry row because there's a Chapard shop, you know, in West Georgia that's mm-hmm. just about a block up. And, uh, um, you know, again, though, Chapard is not a corporately run store. It's uh, GWC or DWG or it's it's a jewelry retailer. They basically converted their multi-brand storefront to a Chapard shop. And I've actually seen a few jewelers do that. And I never really thought about that. But the same thing with Richard Meal. Um, you know, Louis Black in Toronto converted... Uh, from a multi-brand store basically to a hybrid uh, rich or as I shouldn't say hybrid they just have two brands now it's Richard Meal and Audemars Pijouet and the, and the reason is because Richard Meal accepts Audemars as a peer or at least as a co-brand and wouldn't allow any others so uh, you know in the case of Burks you know they're not losing all the other brands but you know opening these little standalone stores maybe we'll see more of those I don't know I mean it depends how successful these ones are and you know how much money it costs to build more and if it's there yeah fair but, you know, good luck to Harry Rosen, too, because, you know, first of a kind shop and store kind of thing is, you know, good for them and, you know, trying to do the right thing for their clients and stuff. But thanks for also going through what these multi-brand um, kind of retailers are trying to do to combat and all the different examples and stuff. It was kind of a fun conversation and a good article to read through. So, but well, thanks. 
Um, yeah. And the other article I was just looking through here is Dyson that we wanted to bring up for the podcast as well. Now, this is because I was wandering through um, Pacific Center and actually came across the construction boarding for Dyson. So I was very excited because, again, this is going to be the second standalone Canadian storefront, which is going to be in Vancouver. So that's kind of exciting. So I have lots of different Dyson products in my home. I did not go to one of these demonstration centers to get it. I went through the wholesaler route of best buy to be able to buy mine but it's kind of interesting to see how these demonstration centers are popping up because there's not many in the world so yeah so craig with all of this what is the insight that you want to bring to this topic for the podcast yeah yeah and by the way thank you so much for finding that and sending the photo to us about mm, dyson because was. i knew they were looking yeah. and they were supposed to be going onto a street and anyways i'll mention that fiasco but i won't mention any names soon you know what's actually funny about an hour and a half ago i was at the dyson store at yorkdale oh, <laughs> so yeah. i went with jessica finch our wonderful new editor and uh, i just i took for a little tour of yorkdale we went to the fendi uh, store opening it's a concession at holt renfrew and went into the dyson store and yeah i mean we're playing with the hair the hair dryers and they've got vacuums and they've got other things there's just like sink we didn't do anything there obviously there's a sink in the back where i think they can you can wet your hair and blow dry it or something they might actually do some sort of styling i have no idea i'm I don't have that much hair, so it's definitely not something I'm attracted to. I think you're in the same boat. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but um, this is very much an interactive center where you can go in and be educated on the product. So uh, I think that's really smart because, you know, Dyson, you know, you can see the stuff online or maybe, you know, a little corner in the bay has got some, demos, you know, a little some hair dryers or something but this is actually a space where you can go in they've got staff that are knowledgeable and you know they'll show you stuff and they're really nice people there i've never had you know negative interaction at the yorkdale uh, dyson store nice people there and um it's very much about showcasing the brand i mean i think it's brilliant and it probably also augments you know the wholesale accounts and there's like thousands of retailers in canada that carry dyson according to my research as i was writing that article mm. Well, and the main thing that I was also kind of noting is that it's a demonstration center. So it's not just a regular kind of store where you just kind of go. So is that resonating with the Canadian population? Because like it's the second one and there's not many of them in the world. So no, no, I looked, there's three in the United States. So the fact we're getting two in Canada is pretty good per capita. We're kicking their butts basically, but who knows? Maybe more will open there. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's really smart. Like, we just talked about Canada Goose opening stores and how that might threaten multi-brand retailers. I don't think it's going to be the same with Dyson just because, you know, I mean, I think there's stores in, like, Yellowknife Northwest Territories that carry Dyson and brand in Manitoba. You know, I was going through the stock lists. I mean, you're never going to see a Dyson store there. I'm sorry to those communities that I just mentioned, but I'm sorry. It's, you're not big enough. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that, the you know, these show centers for those that, uh, you know, are, are traveling through there, and these are high-traffic malls. I mean, Pacific Center gets, I think, about 23 million people year you know Yorkdale gets I think about 18 or more um, you know and then people that go through there have quite a bit of money and are probably the target for Dyson so um, you know I think they yeah, these demonstration centers are probably pretty smart it's almost like a bit of a commercial for the brand I mean somebody might not buy something from Dyson when they're in one of those two malls but uh, certainly uh, they might something else so but uh, there's a whole you know interesting arrangement how the whole Vancouver thing came about mm. Well, it's also kind of interesting because in two parts of the article, you went into a little bit of vague details on how the whole Dyson kind of ended up in Pacific Center and it was maybe a sorted little story. So do you want to touch upon that a little bit just to kind of yeah. tell our readers about it? I mean, I didn't want to go into too many details in the article, but I mean, um, very often, you know, I know Dyson was looking for street front locations and, you know, all of a sudden it ended up in Sea Pacific Center and uh, I mean, without, you know, going into any details or naming people, I mean, one thing I want to, you know, say to retailers generally is, 
if you're utilizing the services of a brokerage and, you know, they're putting their time, effort, knowledge, you know, wisdom into this, you know, you don't abandon that and just go off on your own and do a deal. I mean, that's not acceptable. I mean, if you think about it, it's like, you know, you did a bunch of work for, for someone and they went behind your back and, you know, just went off and, you know, did whatever they wanted, but they're still going to be, you know, successful. Maybe it's not the best, you know, example of that, but... You know, a lot of brokers are working on commission and, uh, you know, I've seen this happen before, unfortunately. I think Miniso, you know, had done this in the past as well. And, you know, I mean, and, and Miniso, there's a lot of stuff happening. I mean, I haven't sorted through everything, but there are a lot of lawsuits right now amongst investors. And I mean, I don't want to go off on a tangent there, but, you know, Miniso Canada has been a disaster despite what they're telling us in PR. I mean, things are way worse than uh, anyone can imagine right now there. So... Uh, but going back to Tyson, you know, again, it's just, you know, something, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a sting. And, you know, I did put that in the article. I mean, I'm usually careful with what I write. And in this case, I was careful and I definitely didn't want to you know, provide any more information. But it's, you know, I just wanted to kind of express that because I become friends with some of these people and, you know, they're, they're working hard and they're brilliant people. I mean, some of the smartest people in the world are commercial real estate brokers. It's, it's a really hard job and you have to be able to conceptualize space and, you know, deal with numbers and, you know, have an imagination, think to the future, and you know, I I I, I take my hand hats <laughs> my hat off to them. I should say, uh, you know, like I said, some of the smartest people I know are in the industry, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of smart people. Well, I just wanted to back up the conversation to the wholesale aspect again, because um, at the beginning of the conversation or the podcast here, we were talking about Harry Rosen and Canada Goose, the shop in a store, but uh, that whole idea of like being able to go to an actual um, direct to consumer store as opposed to the you know buying it in like a best buy for the dyson situation is unfolding in this scenario as well so when i take a look at my purchasing of um, dyson products in the past i don't know if i would actually have gone out of my way to a demonstration center to actually try it but i pretty much had decided before i went into the best buy that i was going to be getting uh dyson vacuum so is it the same kind of risk in your thought for um, the wholesaler folks like Canadian Tire, The Brick, and Costco when it comes to more and more stores coming to Canada for Dyson to sell themselves? Yeah, well, I mean, Dyson's become quite ubiquitous in this distribution. Like I said, I mean, there's hundreds if not thousands of distribution points in Canada. So, uh, you know, and I think people have come to trust the brand name. So definitely people are, I think, are, you know, buying something without, you know, necessarily having tested it out in a demonstration center. I think Best Buy, um, I don't know if they have them in Canada, but in the States, they actually open like Dyson shopping stores because... Uh, Best Buy kind of has almost like the whole rent room model where they have like vendors that have actually set up shop inside and, and lease space, which is probably really, really, really smart. So, you know, you go into a Best Buy store and you can try out all kinds of different brands and, you know, there are knowledgeable people there about the brands. And, uh, you know, I was talking to Ron Wilson uh, a couple months ago about, uh, you know, the strategy at Best Buy and, you know, they're really trying hard. I mean, you know, both online and in their stores and, uh, you know, hopefully they're remaining successful because I think that, you know, Best Buy Canada is doing some pretty uh, amazing stuff, mm-hmm. including with Dyson. Well, and I was just very excited to be able to like stumble across the construction signage in uh, Pacific Center and to be able to bring it to Retail Insider. But yeah, and other than that, like it's interesting that I haven't really seen anything reported in the media for Dyson opening up in Pacific Center. So it's kind of cool for us. Yeah, there's much retail media out there these days anyways. It's really too bad. But And you took a few other photos in the shopping center there. We'll talk about whole rent for next week because like a new men's forward apartment. That's kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> I get excited by luxury retail, but at CF Pacific Center, well, you took a photo of Softmock is opening a new store. Mm-hmm. Softmock is actually expanding quite a bit in Canada. Uh, we got to do an article on this. I just got to 
get a hold of somebody there. If anybody's listening from Softmock or knows anybody, get a hold of me, please. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Evernew out of Australia, women's fashion brand is opening a replacement location because it's been in the mall since I lived in Vancouver, so it's been a few years. And uh, um, what was the other one? Geox is moving. Yeah, Geox is moving, um, but also the the H and M is is con- continuing on with their expansion. Um, with I think the men's location and the escalators and all that kind of stuff is still unfurling, and uh, it looks like Bose was also now shut down at that location and moved elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, they moved onto a street, I think, on Howe Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, H&M is supposed to put escalators in there. And you know what's actually funny is, um, and sorry I'm just blabbing about this, but it's, it's you know, whole Renfrew used to be in that space years and years ago. I think in 2007, it relocated to its current location. And uh, like when I was a kid, you know, Holtz was there. And uh, it was a three-story store. And, you know, they had escalators going through all three levels. And, uh, you know, they decommissioned the escalators uh, when H&M just became a two-story store. And now they have to, you know, kind of, Put them back. Put them back in. Because <laughs> <laughs> now H&M is a three-level store, but the men's is, you know, separated. I mean, there may be an elevator. I have no idea. I haven't really looked at the floor well, plans. The, the escalators for the mall are pretty much right there as well. Yeah. So it's not like it's a big deal. No, but you, again, it's like you're shopping men's and it's not like you're going to be, well, you know, there may be people that are buying men's clothes and then needing to go buy women's clothes, I guess. But, you know, hey. You're going to you're <laughs> gonna have to pay eggs at the store and walk back in. That's uh, until the escalators are put in, right? Or maybe unless there's an elevator. Like I said, I have no idea. I haven't really looked. And now a quick message from our sponsor, Peregrine. They're a team of creative engineers and skilled fabricators collaborating to design and manufacture highly effective retail environments. In 2017, they acquired Acorn Wood Designs, which is an award-winning architectural millwork company focusing on quality craftsmanship and relationships. Visit Peregrine at www.peregrine.build to see their portfolio. One of the other articles we wanted to bring up in the podcast was Uniqlo's recent announcement. And it looks like the Japanese fashion retailer is entering the Quebec market, which is great. And so they announced their Montreal flagship. Um, Of course, Uniqlo has been opening up all across Canada and like BC and in Ontario and so on. So this sounds like it's a big deal. So I was just wanting to know what's your thought. Yeah, actually, I should check how many readers we got so far because probably quite a few. Um, I mean, we kind of knew for a long time that Uniqlo was coming in. I mean, there's a lot of chatter, right? But, uh, you know, I heard a lot of conflicting information. Finally, we you know, heard confirmation that it had signed a lease. But I got to say thank you to Maxime Frechette. Uh, Uniqlo actually reached out to him first with a French language release. And he messaged me on Facebook, Craig, look, look. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank you, Maxime. We're going to mention you because he's awesome, by the way. Um, we've had a lot of fun. I've gone to Montreal, visited him. He's come to Toronto and visited. And we've done tours of each other's cities. And it's been great. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> back to um, Uniqlo. I mean, this is the first location in the Quebec market. You know, more are definitely going to come. I mean, Uniqlo's uh, expansion strategy in Canada, they came into Toronto. They opened two stores. They came into Vancouver. They eventually opened four. Now they've opened, I think, seven. Actually, now I should say eight as of October 16th, which is when we're recording this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a temporary one at First Canadian Place that I think opened today. And uh, so what they do is they go into a market and they open multiple stores, at least in Canada. So what they've done, obviously, is they've done Toronto. They've got, you know, eight locations, including one that's only there for about a year and a little bit. They've got, you know, four in Vancouver. They'll probably get six at some point. And then uh, Edmonton got a new one in, I think it was, yeah, September 27th. I remember this because Christopher uh, Louis wrote an awesome article for us and uh, toured the space. And uh, thank you, Christopher. And um, so in the Edmonton market, you know, maybe at some point Southgate Center will get one. I mean, they're going to uh, have enough space for it when they repurpose the former Sears space. Uh, so I'm going to totally guess that Uniqlo is coming and um 
uh, you know, also, you know, the Calgary market. I mean, probably CF Chinooks on her at some point. I don't know where. I'm totally speculating. But, you know, this is the sort of thing that's going to happen. So you'll see Edmonton, Calgary. And then in Montreal, I'm sure you're going to see probably five or six Uniqlo stores by 2021. Yeah. So, Well, uh, cool. And I'm just wondering for our listeners, is there any kind of strategy that Uniqlo is following that we could kind of highlight? Or is it kind of the shotgun approach of open everywhere? Uh, I mean, probably high traffic areas. And this is the thing where, you know, brokers will obviously have that strategy right. and being, you know, working in partnership with. Uh, the retailer and you know that partnership is important and that broker should get paid uh, unlike some situations but <laughs> just, we we're just talking about but yeah, um, yeah I mean the, strat- the strategy is brand awareness uh, you know ga- you know, getting to the consumer uh, creating that loyalty so you know in the case of the Toronto and Vancouver markets they penetrated those uh, both of the markets with you know multiple locations people are now very familiar with what Uniqlo is uh, none of these locations are in you know you know, low traffic areas. They're, you know, pretty much a malls for the most part, I would say. And uh, I think, or, or streets in the case of, you know, downtown Montreal. And at some point we'll see a downtown Vancouver Uniqlo store, I'm sure. Uh, um, yeah, it's basically, you know, multiple locations in the market and, uh, you know, hope people like it. Fair. Well, with the Forever 21 now closing, do you think that Uniqlo is going to be rethinking some of the locations that they're opening for potentially more prime real estate or just steady the course as they're going right now? Maybe. I mean, same broker, Jeff Berkowitz. Oh, oh yeah, right. the name there, Aurora Realty Consultants. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, you know, Forever 21 was his client. I mean, not, not mm. every client is always going to be successful. I, I wouldn't blame him. No. I blame Forever 21. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, he's, he's representing Uniqlo. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm totally speculating here, but some spaces that Forever 21 has that you know would be about the right size for Uniqlo will be coming available and who knows I mean maybe some of them will become Uniqlo stores I don't know uh, again I'm just speculating but you know if I was in the decision making situation I would be looking you know hard at some of these forever 21 locations as they close and, and maybe think Uniqlo might be able to go in there or you know I, I heard Urban Behavior is looking at a lot of them too yeah well, we should also point out that this is the first store in Quebec that's announced. So it's a big deal for the province, as well as a big deal for the retailers that are going to be around there to maybe getting more increased traffic as a result of that opening. But um, I think it was in uh, the Montreal Eaton Centre that's going to be opening up that we put into the article. But is there any rationale or reasons for that neighborhood that we should be highlighting as well? Yeah, yeah, holy cow! No, I think it's great. I mean, um, they picked probably the best location. I mean, I I would have I would have pick, either picked that or the Forever Twenty One store across from Holt Renfrew Ogilvy. Uh, it's also on Saint Catherine, but that's at Mountain. Um, I mean, if you look at the traffic, I'm doing the Retail Council Canada Shopping Center study, and we've got Montreal Eaton Center in there, or maybe Le Centre Eaton Montreal, or in the French, but um, very high traffic, over 20 million people a year go through there. Uh, very busy area on St. Catherine Street. Uh, the big Hudson Bay department store is across the way. There's a church kind of in between them. Um, the streets, you know, being ripped up right now with construction, but the Montreal Eaton Center is going through an incredible overhaul. Um, next month, the uh, Time Out Market is going to be opening there. Uh, it's like a, it's a food hall. Uh, Decathlon, the sports store, is going to be opening there. Sephora recently opened a big, beautiful store, or I should say reopened because they uh, kind of, you know, redid it, but now they're going to have Uniqlo in there. I mean, this is a bit of a, you know, it's kind of a mid, I say mid-priced, you know, retail uh, big brand, you know, bazaar. It's great. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's really exciting and it's part of a bigger transformation in Montreal's downtown core. And, you know, when it's all finished, uh, 
Uh, you know, I think it's going to be one of the best downtowns in North America. I think it's very, very exciting. And, you know, you've got sort of the mid-price retailers at one end, except you do have Burke's right by there, too, and that's really, really expensive. And then you've got kind of the really high-end brands that have gone a little bit west towards Westmount, and that includes Holt Renfrew Ogilvy, which we'll definitely be talking more about in Retail Insider and a few other things that are uh, high-end moving into that part of town as well. And how would you see Uniqlo fitting into the whole uh, renovation project that's happening for the Montreal Eaton Centre? It's going to create an anchor that, you know, is going to be exciting. I mean, you know, these white, yeah. bright stores, it's it's going to have probably those ticker tapes that go along. Like some mm-hmm. of the, yeah, some of these Unico flagships, and it's funny because you don't see that so much in the suburban stores, but when you get a flagship, they've got, I don't know what you call it, but it's like this it's moving. It's like a stock market, like marquee. Yeah, yeah, mark, maybe that's that marquee. Yeah, yeah, like it's that thing that moves along. Like this is going to become a really exciting component to the Montreal Eaton Center, I think, just visually and uh, I'm not going to say how big it's going to be, but I can tell you it's big. And because, <laughs> uh, you know, I get certain information I'm not allowed to talk about and I'm willing to respect that. But, um, you know, this is, I think, going to be really, really exciting for Montreal Eaton Centre. I can't wait to go back and see everything when it's finished. But, uh, you know, again, this is just becoming, you know, a real focal point for Montreal's downtown core. And you asked about the suburbs. Well, um, you know, yeah, there will be an announcement made for a second store in the suburbs. And uh, that probably won't be too long from now. And, uh uh, you know, again, Montreal, I think, is going to see more than, well, it will see more than one Uniqlo store. So uh, where will it go? Uh, you know, it remains to be seen. I mean, uh, I would have said Royal Mount if it was done. <laughs> yeah. You know, that we, beautiful. we talked about Royal Mount. I mean, I think 2022 or 23 is when it's going to be finished. But, like, you know, that would be my first guess. Cool. Well, uh, is there any e-news around the web that kind of came up that was kind of interesting over the last week? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, in, in terms of news from around the web, there was a really interesting uh, bit of news that's come about. I don't know quite how far it is in terms of being confirmed, but um, it looks like the Hudson's Bay Company may get the licensing rights to Barney's New York. Mm-hmm. Um are you familiar with Barney? We're not talking about that big purple dinosaur. We're talking about the high-end store. <laughs> but don't knock the purple dinosaur. That I did grow up with it. So, But no, yeah, I think that they went through a voluntary um, bankruptcy back in 1996. Uh, but yeah, it looks like they're about to potentially go through an involuntary bankruptcy now. But uh, is what's the news on that? Is it done or is it still, are they avoiding it? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of a, you know, a sellout type of situation. I think October 24th is the date. And by sellout, I mean, they're, they're trying to find a buyer because, you know, otherwise the company might have to close so it's looking like uh you know a major brand group and the hudson bay company might partner on this and uh, you know the, the hudson bay I and mean, the reason i'm you know focusing on the hudson bay company is because it's canadian and um what you know here, here's where my mind went immediately when i saw that they said you know because I, I read an article i think it was in the new york times and they said that the source and they didn't name the source we, we do that sometimes too at retail insider when we're not you know we don't want to get anybody in trouble or anything like that or want to keep some good relationships uh you know this source said that Saks fifth avenue could see barney's new york barney new york, barney's new york shop and stores between ten thousand and fifty thousand square feet open within these Saks fifth avenue stores and um I thought that was really interesting because, you know, yeah. in Toronto, we've got two Saks Fifth Avenues and there's one in Calgary. Yeah. Now, they said that these would be in like better Barney New York store or sorry, sorry, in, in more productive Saks Fifth Avenue stores. Obviously, it's 50,000 square feet. You're going to need a really yes. big Saks store because, I mean, you know, even the one in Beverly Hills is what, 285,000 square mm-hmm. feet over two buildings. Yeah. I have a really good memory for Saks Fifth Avenue square footages. But, you know, the New York store, I don't think you're going to see Barney's move in there because uh, unless they close on Madison Avenue, which is always a possibility because their rent doubled or tripled. Uh, but would we see Barney's in downtown Toronto? 
Who knows? I mean, you know, I mean, uh, when you go into Saxa, I mean, you and I went in there. When yeah. you go into Saxa Avenue, you know, downtown Toronto, I mean, it's got some edgy fashion. But when I actually walk around and look at the architecture, it, it's it's a kind of a traditional high-end store. I mean... Yeah. I don't think of Barney's when I go through Saks. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say it's conservative. Like, you know, it's it's a pretty nice-looking store overall, but... You know, it's it's nothing like say Holt Renfrew at Square One. You know, it's it's lovely, but if you were to put a Barney's in there and do something pretty interesting architecturally, I mean, I might go down there and shop a little bit more. I mean, I'm not the Saxon Avenue customer. I've got friends who are, but you know, I it's just kind of not. I mean, it's very expensive, but also you know, I I kind of like Holt Renfrew a little bit better in yeah. the way that it's set up and how it looks. But you know, Barney's could be a bit of a turning point. So. Uh, you know, who knows? But, you know, on this, at the same time, I mean, I've got a bit of a beef with Barney's in terms of what they did to their stores. Uh, you know, years ago, I spent a lot of time in New York and, you know, Barney's was the spectacular store, you know, I've been to Chicago and Las Vegas and, you know, the old Beverly Hills before they renovated that one. And, uh, you know, I've been traveling quite a bit over the years and, um, you know, the stores were gorgeous. Peter Marino designed the, uh, you know, New York City flagship with this gorgeous marble flooring. It was this kind of patchwork of, you know, uh, darker brown, lighter brown, black and white and, um, I guess it got all chopped up with uh, women wearing high-heeled shoes or something. And so they renovated that store and they renovated Beverly Hills. And anyways, I was in the, it was a while ago, I was at Barney's in uh, you know, Madison Avenue. I walked in and I had to take a moment. I said to the doorman, is this Barney's? Mm. Because I, I didn't think it looked that nice. Like it was this kind of white marble thing, but it wasn't, I don't know. I think it really missed the mark in terms of its design. So, you know, if the Hudson Bay Company gets involved with this, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I would encourage them to do something a little bolder. I mean, funny enough, I go back to the you know back to the future. I mean, I, I would actually do what they did with the Las Vegas store. I mean, I, I wandered around that Barney store in Las Vegas. I was in awe. I mean, what a gorgeous space. Uh, if they can, you know, do something like that. that. Basically, if you can walk into a retail space and say, holy cow, wow, this is like I'm in a special place. You've done something right, you know, and I have spent money at that Barney's in Las Vegas. But when I was in New York, I walked through there and I just thought, oh, I don't know. I mean, I just, I miss the old one. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, maybe that's just me getting old. Well, and obviously Hudson Bay's would be using the Barney's name to try to, you know, draw more traffic, more revenue, all that kind of stuff. But like, I just don't necessarily see Barney's meshing with Hudson Bay or with Saks. So, you know, it, they could be trying to use this as an opportunity to reinvent like a Phoenix from the Ashes kind of situation. The the Barney's kind of new, but that would kind of destroy the idea of getting the brand name that's notable. Uh, so they definitely have an uphill battle for them from a marketing perspective if they go down this hmm. path because it's like a dichotomy of like differences that may not work for them. I guess so. At the same time, it didn't seem to work for them recently. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> can you imagine, can you imagine if Barney's opened in Vancouver? Like I know that there's no yeah. Saks Fifth Avenue there, but um, say they took a corner at Georgia and Granville in the Hudson Bay building. I mean, granted they'd want to completely separate it because that Bay is not a very nice looking store overall. I mean, the elevators are just disgusting, but yeah, well, and at the end of the day, they're going to have an uphill battle, I guess, for with the marketing. So it should be interesting to see how they try to meld that together. Because again, it does not scream Bay Barney's. Yeah. So we'll see, especially in that, if it's going to be, going across the country or if it's going to be like just in one store like Vancouver. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if they're at the corner of Georgia and Granville, I mean, half the marketing is down there with its location yeah. and prominence. So you just got to get rid of those, you know, musicians and panhandlers in front of the store. But <laughs> <laughs> 
I think that's pretty much a wrap for the podcast tonight, Craig. But thanks for going through the popular articles for Retail Insider for the past week. We just wanted to remind everybody that we do have an email that goes out every day that you can subscribe to, which has a link to the news from around the web that we curated for the previous day as well as a link to all the recently published articles on Retail Insider. But if you go to retail-insider.com, you can sign up there and it'll be in your inbox every morning. But thanks for listening to this podcast. Please do subscribe because it does boost our rating for discoverability for other people to be able to listen to it as well and rate us five stars. But anyway, thanks, Craig, for joining me and see you next week. Yes, thank you for listening and for everyone. Uh, everyone have a great rest of the weekend. Weekend. <laughs> Bye, guys.